Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in bodywork, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. It was such a pleasure to be in conversation with Tom Myers. Tom studied with Dr. Zadorolf, Moshe Fodenkreis, and Buckminster Fuller, and with a variety of movement and manual therapy pioneers. Tom has practiced integrative manual therapy for over 40 years in a variety of clinical and cultural settings. Tom is the author of many books and articles, most notably so is his book Anatomy Trains. He's possibly one of the most widely known bodywork professionals at this time. Tom and his faculty conduct professional development courses and certifications in structural integration worldwide. Today's conversation, we spoke about Tom's history with SI and what led to Anatomy Trains. What differentiates the Anatomy Trains 12 series from a traditional Rolfing 10 series, possible pitfalls for early on body workers to avoid, the principles of Anatomy Trains, his experience with Buckminster Fuller, and the future of structural integration. So with that, let's begin our talk. There he is. I'm sorry, I just had a little trouble connecting down here. That's okay. Nice to see you again. It's been a few years. It's been a minute. Thank you, Tom, for coming and joining with us. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. And uh, yeah, I would love to, you have such a rich history with the structural integration work and have studied and started out with a lot of the pioneers. I'm curious of what was your interest in anatomy change? Was it a departure of something that you were learning and that you wanted something more of, or it just kind of became a, a just a inquiry process that just kept on growing and growing and growing? Um, I, I'll tell you how I grew from Iderolf into anatomy train. So I, I found Iderolf in 1973, late 73, early 74. I got actually joined a class as a model and I couldn't be the model. There were too many models. So I was going to be shuffled off the model list as has happened in training classes that I've run. And uh, Jan Sultan, who's one of the senior teachers at the Roth Institute, said, well, I'll do it after hours for, you know, a bit of a discount price. So I would come in at five o'clock when Ida Rolf and uh, her entourage would be, you know, going like a galleon in full sail out of the class. And then the people who wanted to stayed behind and watched Jan do this session on me. So I was getting simultaneously the work, but I was also getting the intellectual basis behind the work that was contained within their questions of what they were asking and what are you going to do next? Or why did you just do that? Um, and so I spent most of those sessions, I have to tell you, this was 1970s Rolfing. I spent most of those sessions in Tetney with my hands curled and my breathing uh, over none because I was an uptight little twit at 23, 24 when I got this. I, I just got out of Harvard and uh, had a couple of environmental jobs and thought I was hot shit and fell into this whole thing of uh, 
when I first met Iderolf, I, I drove down with a friend of mine and, and he um, turned out to be her model after she gave the opening lecture that she always did in the opening morning. Then she called for a model and he stood up and he was one of these people that you, you can't see from the side. His chest was so close to his spine and his ribs were so far down that uh, he looked like paper from the side. He looked normal from the front and back. She, <laughs> excuse me, grabbed him and poked and prodded him for 45 minutes. You, you remember, I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, just been introduced to massage and Tai Chi in a sort of recent bath of spiritual stuff. Um, but here was this woman and in 45 minutes, she changed his shape. He, his rib cage was deeper, his breathing was deeper, his voice was deeper, his, he was my friend, we drove down together. His emotional affect was deeper and that, uh, we lived in the same house together and, and that deeper lasted for two weeks. And I, I didn't need to see two weeks. That was uh, just seeing her do that. I went, this is interesting magic. She's changing not just the outer shape or the condition of the muscles, which is all good stuff. Uh, I have nothing to say against training, yoga, any of those other things that condition the body. This was just uh, reaching to an innerness that I had never encounter before or frankly since uh, perhaps with osteopathy which is a sister discipline to ours um, deep uh, guided meditation through the body such as Charlotte Selber Charles Brooks those all came out of Elsa Gindler who was in Germany in the in the 30s um, there are so many rich traditions that feed into Rolfing I, I will say uh, I, I was saying put the political stuff till last I will say that I find it uh, the two camps that you find in any of these groups, be it structural integration or anything else, is is the founder given a revelation or does the founder exist in history? And I much prefer the view that Ida Roth exists in history, that she's development of that interwar period, just as Pilates was for muscle conditioning, um, that the values came out of a reaction to the Victorian era and, and the depression, and that we're in a totally different digital uh, environment now. So the technology, our technology needs to change, but the fundamental idea of reaching into the body, I've uh, Never gotten that out. Where did we go? We we're going from there to anatomy train. So in due course, I did, uh, in spite of Jan's, <laughs> Jan told me, don't even try to do this. I was such an uptight little mental mofo. Uh, but I did. I went to massage school and I got the necessary requirements and I came back and presented myself to Iderolf and over 75 and uh, 74 and 75 and 76, I trained. Um, with her and with Peter Melchior, who um, was then with the Roth Institute and would later be with the Guild. So don't, <laughs> I can't make those distinctions um, with a straight face. I, I noticed that uh, if you go to the um, Alexander schools, which I learned about when I lived in London in the 1980s after uh, Dr. Rolf passed over, um, they're so gentle people. And then you ask them about the other school. Oh, those Cartwrights, they're not right. No, the McDonald's, they're not doing it correctly. Everybody, uh, the claws come out when you start talking about another school, but it's, it's uh, an early symptom. It's a er symptom of the early split up between those who think 
in a, that kind of ivory tower way that uh, either Rolf or Swami Satchidananda or whoever it was came down from heaven and gave them a revelation as opposed to this is an evolving discipline. And I just, I'm a scientist by, I'm an artist by nature and a scientist by heart. I, I uh, just see this all evolving and evolving very quickly, if I may say so, because the circumstances that we're presented with is that we have a whole generation of children who are not living in their bodies, who are being offered the metaverse. I'm not averse to the metaverse, but you got to offer an alternative to the metaverse, which is the universe of actual experience. And uh, raw thing structural integration is just one of the ways in which we do that, but it does it with an innerness. Um, to continue the story of anatomy trains, though, I uh, was teaching anatomy for the Rolf Institute. I was never a faculty member teaching the 10 series in the Rolf Institute, but I was teaching the beginning part, what's now part one of the Rolf Institute training. I developed that and, and taught it, and uh, it was a team effort, but I was <laughs> hurting the cats. Uh, and... I just, all the anatomy books are single muscles. So I just said, well, look, you get on the serratus anterior, you can get on the external oblique. How far can you go on the train? And that's how it got that retro name, uh, was just riding the rails of the fascia through the tracks of the muscles and um, stopping at the stations of where muscle attachments touched down. But with the idea that everything was connected and, um, it came out of an article from Raymond Dart, who was an old Alexander student and anthropologist from way back when. And he had this double spiral arrangement of muscles in man in which he traced from rhomboids to serratus to external oblique to internal oblique around to the pubic bone. And my thought on that was why stop there? So that was in the 80s that Jim Oshman of Energy Medicine gave me that article. And... Uh, took me about five or six years to develop the system and published it in 97 and published the book in 2000. Um, so all anatomy trains does is make a map of the myofascial force transmission lines through the body in stability and movement. I call it the stability mobility equation. We're all dealing with a stability mobility equation. I don't have a tensegrity structure that moves right around me. I just have one that doesn't move. And uh, so that provides stability with, with the tight strings. The loose strings uh, allows for mobility, and we all dance within those push-me-pull-you of tension and compression. Tom, can I you like pause it. us for a second? You I sure can. Question. So yep. um, two things. What I really appreciated from the anatomy trains is it definitely gives languaging for all cross modalities of talking about the body. And it really, what how I've seen it as being, you know, my kind of start with the body was I started as a structural integrator and then later started to build my tool bag with various trainings and yoga, gyrotonics, gyrokinesis, Pilates, all that kind of stuff, kettlebells, animal flow. And so through my trainings, you know, people, they reference this. It's kind of also with like Pilates when they, when you learned about the psoas. Psoas was like the big buzzword. And so um, 
So I just want to applaud that. I think that it's been a great system for some um, multiple modalities can have some kind of languaging around anatomy. And, but also my curiosity is for someone who has been in the beginning um, start of the Rolf Institute, how would you describe your series different or similar to the 10 series? So I've done some trainings with you, but they've been more of the advanced trainings that are kind of advanced and technique, but packing with the background of already knowing how to do structural integration. But I'm, because I get this question often asked to me and I'm not really sure, like, how would okay. I describe your your processing different than yeah, the classic was, 10 series or what the Rolf Institute does? Like it's it's easy to add the last Heller work series, the eleventh session, and there's it's just added on to the ten series. The twelfth series is a little bit different. So um, let's start and see if we can agree that the ten series has um, three distinct sections: sessions one through three that are designed to cover the superficial body from top to toe, but not the inside of the legs, the out the outer shell, so to speak, of the, of the superficial fascia and superficial musculature. And then there's a series of four sessions in the middle that are designed to deal with core structures, deeper structures like the psoas, the diaphragm, and um, the inside of the legs as, as the other one. And um, then a three session series at the end in which to integrate <laughs> the mess you made in the first seven sessions, yes, <laughs> to get it to get it together as best you can in those threats, last three sessions is the idea of eight, nine, ten. Most people feel as if they run off the edge of a cliff in a fast moving ATV when they get to session eight, because uh, it's very difficult to teach integration sessions in the kind of immersion that all structural integration trainings are. No structural integration training that I know of has yet attached itself to a college in such a way that it could be a three or four year degree program, just part of a degree program. Um, and then things could be stretched out and woven in, uh, in, in a way that they can't in an immersion training. And one of those things is, how do you work the integration sessions? It's a conundrum that I know I worked with, that I felt Peter and uh, then as I started my own school, we've all struggled with is how do you get those last three? But stop, get back on subject. Three uh, superficial sessions, four core sessions, three integration sessions. Is that something that you? Correct. That That's something? the kind of a, a brief description of the classic 10 series. Great. Now, I added one more session to the first three and the last three in order to make it four, four, and four. Here's how that goes. The first three sessions are very like the three sessions of the classic series, except that I don't put all the lower leg work in one session. I link it up to the anatomy train that it's linked to. So the front, the superficial frontline session, which is the first session, might concentrate more on your uh, costal arch and up the sternum and along almost every session includes that of course but it's the superficial front line it's what's going on in the front of the body where can you take those thorns out of the flesh as i would call it 
uh, in the superficial body that will allow breathing and allow an upness in the front of the body. And then the sole of the foot and the heel and the gastrocnemius is included in session two because that's included in going up, uh, well, down the back of the body. Um, we often start from the bottom and move up, but the, but the moves are moving down the back of the body for session two. So it includes uh, the hamstrings get included in that session, the sacral tuberous ligament, the sacral fascia, the thoracolumbar fascia, the erector spini, suboccipitals, scalp get included in that session. Uh, but you're looking for how things are lining up along the back. How do the primary and secondary curves line up uh, in that session? The third session is a lateral line session. So it takes the lateral band of the plantar fascia, the peroneal muscles, fibulary muscles on the outside of the leg, as well as the iliotibial band, the fan of gluteals around the trochanter, the, that lateral X of obliques as they go up to the Xs of the intercostals that go up to the scalenes and shoulders and neck. So that session is the third session. Where I've added this, that, so it's still the same three sessions, really. It's just distributed a little differently if you look at it through the anatomy trains lens, and we do. Um, so a little bit of changes, but same territory covered. The fourth session, however, I never got in my Rolf training, and that's a spiral line session. And here's the logic for it. The spiral line weaves in around the body from the side of the head over to the opposite shoulder to back to the same hip down under the arch. It's a um, massive great jump rope that spirals, spirals around the body and under the arch. Um, it doesn't all work as one. That's not the way the anatomy trains is. You don't have a short spiral line on one side. It can't work that way. Uh, you can have a pattern that looks like that in the torso. Um, but the legs have to work or you couldn't walk without that sling under the under the arches. So it gives you a chance to take up anything that you missed in the first three, but it also gives you a chance to resolve rotations in the superficial part of the body. Um, because the difference between what Ida taught and Peter and the rest taught me and what I teach my students is you can have a superficial rotation and a core rotation. So the idea in the spiral line is loosen the threads in the superficial rotation so that when you go to the psoas, adductor, diaphragm, neck twists, uh, mediastinal twists, rotations, that, in other words, the core rotations that are going to take us on in the second four sessions, you don't have this outer thing disguising what's going on and stopping you from loosening the inside. So I added a session, the spiral line session, a rotational session for the outer, muscul outer musculature to the um, initial sessions. The initial four, the, I'm sorry, the middle four sessions. Wait, Tom, can I, can I interrupt for a second? Yep. Just out of curiosity, how I'm here. It. I just uh, I some clarification. Would you would you say in a way that your fourth set your fourth session is almost an integration, a mini integration of the of the first three as well? Because it sort of sounds like if you're if you're clearing out patterns that that were there that weren't cleared before, that it becomes sort of a an encapsulating uh, integrated series to get the the first three in. Is that accurate, or am I that a little bit off? Is 
accurate, Andrew, but for the people who have the pattern that I'm about to talk about when we do the core sessions is where the core is going one way and the sleeve is twisting the other. That's what I didn't get. It was just what are the rotations? And it's not that way. The core can be doing one thing and the sleeve can be doing another. If I've added anything to Ida Rolf's bit, I stand on the shoulders of giants. But this would be one thing that I would say is, no, you got to free up the outer rotations. So yes, it's a summary. Yep, it's an integration. And yes, because the spiral line winds in and out of the other lines, the muscles that form the the rotational ribbon that runs through the body run through the lateral line and through the front line and through the back line as because it's spiraling around the body. So um, that's true anatomically as well as <laughs> uh, spiritually. Cool. Okay. So if we start talking about the middle four sessions, it would be for you four, five, six, seven, and for us five, six, seven, eight. Uh, but they are substantially the same. But I frame it again in anatomy trains terms. So session five, session four in the classic is up the inseam of the leg, but I'm doing that as the deep front line. Therefore, you get into the deep posterior compartment at that time. You get into the tarsal tunnel and in the inner part of the ankle at that time. You get into... Um, the whole adductor complex, its connections to the pelvic floor. And if you have time to the initiation of the psoas and iliacus uh, coming up the front. And in the next session, session five for you, session six for us, we continue that up the deep front line over the abdominal thoracic cavity, but we just say pubic bone to clavicle. So it's deeply about the breath, but it's also about the psoas and any of those inner twists that uh, we see. So we have to measure out, and we try to do so in our body reading, the difference between pelvis and ankle, for instance, is there a rotation in, you know, between the pelvis and the feet? And that's going to come up in the adductors and the pectineus, et cetera, and the rotations that are in the thoracolumbar spine or in the pelvis itself, um, which will show up in the psoas and the psoas complex going around the, the, the hip joint. Um, but mostly that session is a deeper session about breath, you know, more diaphragmatic and, and getting into that. So the, um, where are we, the next session we call the deep back line, but we put it in quotation marks because there isn't any deep back line so far. There's just the superficial back line, but you, it's lining up those backbones, the heels under the, um, ischial tuberosities under the SI joints, under the mid dorsal hinge, under the um, occiput of the head, and um, involves, as it does uh, in, in the classic recipe, with the uh, multifidus in the spine, the rotations in the spine, leftover stuff in the erector spini, which is always <laughs> deeply there, and working around the pelvic ligaments and piriformis obturator internus. Um, so that session is the pause before your session seven, uh, our session eight, which is putting the top on the body in terms of the neurocranium and that deep back line. Uh, you get to go deeply into the neck, obviously, here, but you're doing that with the motor cylinder and the visceral cylinder. The visceral cylinder comes up into the jaw. The very top of the deep front line is the jaw and the whole nasopharynx. So, um, 
<laughs> I would say that our session eight is as close to a classical seven session as I was taught in either Rolf's and Peter's and Michael Salveson's class. It's a, I, I find that recipe to be quite closely held across most of the schools. Um, so just to finish this discussion about the anatomy trains and the anatomy trains recipes, sessions nine, 10, 11, and 12, uh, sessions nine and 10 are what you would call sessions eight and nine. I don't make people pick between up and down. I, have, I never found that a useful question for myself. Um, and so we have just parsed it out. Session nine is about the pelvis and the legs and walking a gait. It's, uh, these are functional sessions. Um, so the session 10 is about breathing. Um, so there isn't this sort of choice to go up or down. And then session 11 is the second session that I've added, which is simply a session about the shoulders and arms. I uh, don't think that Ida Rolf would be rolling over in her grave for me to add a session about the arms, especially in this day and age where we're all driving and computerizing so much and people are getting weak and dysfunctional in the arms uh, as well. So uh, that session takes on, in anatomy trains terms, the arm lines uh, with the idea that you're taking the shoulder girdle and draping it over the new core that you built and taking that right down to the hands, which uh, I've heard Ida Rolf say that the arms got short shrift, as she would call it, uh, not enough time in the, in the um, 10 series. So I don't think she'd be rolling over in her grave on that one. And then session 12, um, I offer people that idea of going up the hinges and horizontalizing them, but uh, we just say whatever you need to do to um, complete your work on the anatomy trains for now and to hand the responsibility back to them. I think one thing that's absolutely unique about all the structural integration schools for the people who are practicing, I don't care how many series you do, 10's fine, my 12, I just offered the alternative uh, way to look at the recipe there, but it's, it's not importantly different, um, is the idea that we come to an end with our therapy. We're talking about a project, not an endless therapy. And I try to teach in my school and, and uh, it's, it's different for people today, especially massage therapists, but it's the same with Pilates teachers or yoga teachers. You, it never ends. You're not on a project basis. You're on an endless basis. So those people don't teach their teachers or practitioners how to graduate clients and so we we focus on that in our school how do you graduate clients successfully so that they feel yeah i can come back here in six months but i need to let this set in and meantime i'm going to be doing gyrokinesis or i'm going to be doing whatever um, is right for their body next that leads me to um ask you does your school offer movement components or you just leave that to all the people, all the fitness people that you shared anatomy trains with? We have lots of cues. Uh, I would call it something like Mary Bond style, but it's not taken from Mary Bond. I, I studied with um, Judith way back when. We have lots of movement cues, homework, things like that, that uh, filter into our training. Um, otherwise, um, and and we you know we'll do stretching one morning and we'll do Feldenkrais one morning and we'll do Tai Chi one morning just just to introduce other things into the classes. Um, 
we have a movement arm in uh, it's based in Switzerland. Um, but <laughs> when this COVID period gets over, I hope we'll all be able to communicate again. Um, that is an evolved Pilates that is very fascia aware. So it builds elasticity and resilience, and um, it's it's based on fascial principles. We offer that, but we don't require that of our practitioners because we get practitioners from all different disciplines. I'm not trying to take their disciplines away from them and impose some new thing on them, but we do ha have that. We also have nerve and artery work within our school, so releasing the, the adventitial sacs that go around the nerves, veins, and arteries. That's been very successful. Um, uh, we'll you know, if I see somebody with talent, we'll borrow from anybody <laughs> at this point. Uh, we borrow with attribution, but um, this I like this that. Work. I like the, the integration of it. Mm. We need we need to have this all around. We have a woman who's been offering cranial, but uh, that I just totally respect in that field. Um, I practice it, but I wouldn't feel comfortable teaching it. Uh, not enough expertise in it. And um, the same with this, same with visceral. Yeah. Go ahead, Andrew. No, you're good. Good. I have a question. This is more based out of sort of where I am in my practice right now in regards to the 12 series, uh, which is uh, our 10 series. Right now, a lot of my clients and what I'm finding is uh, with the modern day, like a 10 series in some ways, because I'm, I'm a little more bi biodynamic uh, cranial gear. That's where I've been studying for the last few years as well. I've been finding that sometimes a 10 series I'll say is an eight when that they don't necessarily need the full, like you can, you can put a four and a five together and, and create something. And mm -hmm. also sometimes a 10 is a 15, especially with the nervous system with people who are fried right now. And in general, their adrenals are fried and I just find diving into tissue. Sometimes in my experience is too much that I want to kind of do these pre-series, but does with, with your set of, of 12 is sometimes a 12, a 10 and sometimes a 14, or is it pretty, rigid in that nope we have to do it in, in this world no with apologies to aa it's a 12-step process and um i love ed mopin's content uh comment he ran the ipsb and was an early student of ida who couldn't get along with the organization um but he said i don't always practice the recipe but i always know where i am in relationship to it um i have never struggled in the harness of the recipe. I've never struggled to get out of it either if it's appropriate for the client. But I find uh, that recipe, I, yes, I've altered it this way and no, it doesn't always go that way. Um, if somebody comes to me who's been doing a whole lot of yoga and, and uh, other body work, I often don't need very much time to do those superficial sessions, you know here's your front, back, lateral, spiral, you know about all that. Okay, let's get into the core. It, it, it happens more quickly. But so, it's, so it's, it's elastic. Yeah. What, I'm, what I'm trying to go against here is the endless therapy thing. And the biodynamics are as, as uh, guilty of it as anybody. Um, and rolfers, if they get off this idea of a recipe, can often fall into it. I fell into it, of course. You know, you have these clients, you like them, you like the money, it's easy work, but the actual returns and the actual, what happens is you spiritually stultify in your practice and you don't yeah. grow as much. So uh, I found it necessary to plow my clients, my practice, not my clients, but my, plow my practice under by giving my clients away or going away on an extended 
vacation, which wasn't hard for me because I was a traveler. So I was always going off on one adventure or another. And uh, so I would build a new practice when I came back. I was blessed with the ability to build a new practice, but you cannot let your practice become golden manacles around around your hands. I so resonate. Uh, one of the best things I, I took away from oh, sorry, Nate, let me just one of the best mm-hmm. things I took away from studying with you, Tom, and I, I say this a lot, is that I don't, you know, the best client is one who doesn't come back. I really um obviously meaning it and with with a play on words, but that really like it's all about setting your hands free. You know, like you said earlier, they could come back in six months or whatever, but you want them to essentially be that they don't need us, that they are healthy. Like that model is something I, I learned from you and I, I hold it very dear. And when I'm working with people, it's usually about how, how can we do this, that, that, that it's not continuing over and over and over again. Yep. So, so therapists fall into the trap of their favorite moves and they fall into the trap of the comfort of a full practice. I pity the person with a full practice. Um, and it's it's good to stay hungry. It's good to stay abreast of the trends in your community. It is good to um, get educated. It's uh, all of these things draw you on. I'm speaking as an old man now, looking back at, <laughs> wasn't that one of your questions? What would you say to yourself as a young structural integrator? <laughs> um, yes, please. Let's. I think this is a good lead in. What? What would um, older, older, not old, older Tom Myers, um, what advice would you give to the younger Tom Myers early in his practice? Well, because I've arrived here, I would say, shh, don't disturb him. <laughs> but, uh because because it did lead to here and you know there are so many decision points along my life where things could have changed easily to go down another rivulet that would have led in a, a fully other direction um but this idea that we had at the beginning of reaching in and causing deep change i've never in this is almost 50 years now uh, i have never in those 47 years gotten up and said oh shit i have to go to work uh, it's just so intriguing to see the varieties of human form and, you know, reaching out into different populations. That's, I, I think that's what I'm saying about keeping your practice fresh. Uh, if, if I was giving that advice to young Tom, I would give him the advice that he took, but he took it unconsciously, <laughs> dragging and kicking and screaming the whole way. Um, I would tell myself, my younger self, to calm down. It's going to take a long time to uh, have this thing come into focus. And it was by working with pregnant mothers. And I had a year where I worked with a lot of sex workers. It wasn't the only thing in my practice, but there were just a lot of sex workers from London coming through all different parts of the trade. I learned a lot <laughs> during that year. Um, but you, you, you start seeing the patterns. You start seeing, oh, this is common. Musicians, uh, ballet dancers, these are people who came through. I had tons of people in the fashion industry once. Uh, that was when uh, Chuck and I were getting married. And um, so the fashion industry in London got a great big shot in the arm and everybody had money to spend and I became trendy. Uh, among this fashion group and all of a sudden I've got models, you know, people I wouldn't uh, come across in my ordinary life uh, and not 
people just kvetching about a pain, but wanting to explore themselves uh, in that way. And so by keeping peeling that uh, back and keeping newness coming into my practice, uh, I built up a large library of not evidence-based practice, but practice-based evidence. So I have a lot of practice-based evidence behind me. And when you first start out, you're faking it till you make it. And I found the recipe and even still do find the recipe, a very easy way to negotiate my way through that. Ah, let's see what's going on outside. Let's see what's going on inside. What can we do to put that together in function? And uh, when I said in function, obviously I mean in structure as well. Um, My Feldenkrais training creeps into my uh rolfing training too well wouldn't you agree it's a blend i mean we're not looking about trying to create an anatomical perfect structure that we see in our anatomy books we're looking for how do we work with structure to enhance function we're working with structure to enhance glide in the in all the tissues but in the fascial tissues um so that everything gives a little and nothing gives too much. Um, but just to get to your thing, uh, there was a lot of that crazy waistline back, top of the head up, knees straight forward, elbows out in my classes with Ida that um, shortly after she was gone was abandoned, thank goodness, because we just looked like twits trying to walk around as squares. That's, that's not the way you change people's posture. Um, and Judith Aston had a great deal more sophisticated way of addressing the model. And um, the tensegrity thing fits, I'm sorry, the anatomy trains map of all of these lines, these vertical longitudinal lines going around the body does create a thing like the uh, tensegrity structure where the bones are really held in place. Uh, of course, they're held in place by ligaments and strong ligaments at that. Um, but it's put in balance in movement the way the ribcage, shoulders, neck, and head and spine move with each other under on top of the hips, say, in running, um, such that everything is designed to give a little. So I look at this as, okay, where can I, where are the places that are most held And can I help my students to see that so that they can unfold it in their clients? But I'm sorry, it took me so long to get here because here's what I wanted to say, which is I want the client in their time with me, which might be three months. I rarely keep a client for more than three months. They've learned what they can learn from me in three months. I want my client in three months to be more informed or to be ready to move on to the next chapter of their life, whatever that next chapter is. So when I reach that, that could be eight sessions, that could be 16 sessions, but when I reach that, I always have that in mind. When do I get to the place where we tie this up and you're ready to move on to your next chapter in life? Because we're all moving on. (laughs) We're not moving on to enlightenment, at least I'm not. So uh, moving on to the next chapter has to suffice. Amen. I totally, I, that's kind of my talk with clients when they're asking, um, 
how how do we progress? A lot of t- I don't get a lot of people who are seeking a ten series. I don't really even know about a ten series. They just have learned that I do something called structural integration, or I'm a rolfer, and I help people feel better in their bodies. Uh-huh. So I think um, so. For me, in terms of how to work, I like I like what you um, that quote about Red Malpin. I totally resonate with um, using the ten series as if I'm not doing a classic 10 series, I know where I am in the, in the principles. And so that's one question I wanted to ask you. Uh-huh. It does anatomy train have principles. And also just wanted to echo too. I think I, what I think, which is special about structural integration, especially the uh, the practitioners that are holding the idea that we're working for a process. So to embody the clients to that, they don't need to depend on us. Maybe they come in for tune-ups, but, we go through a process together to ultimately empower them to know their bodies better and know. And I think for me, like I'm big on movement and I was um, the lockdown really help, help um, remind me the importance of the movement because I had a practice in New York city. And then when everybody was locked down and couldn't see their people, a lot of my old clients reached out and they're like, you know, that thing you gave me, it worked so well. And I did it. And I'm like, free of that pain. Can you give me a new thing? So uh-huh. I somehow uh-huh. didn't know I was going to be into a virtual, <laughs> virtual um, doing sessions, but I was like, yeah. Cause I, there was, of course, everybody probably had this, like this need to help when we were like starved from touch because we had to go isolate for COVID and all that. So again, just want to, I, wanted to applaud and echo that statement that it's important. I think again, because this kind of came up with what do the earlier or newer rolfers or structural integrators, anatomy trained practitioners that um, the importance of being able to be comfortable with your clients, not returning. And when you have a slowness in your practice in a way that's, that's rewarding. Like I'm currently going through that where I had a lot of kind of been joking around. I'm like, I need to find more broken people. <laughs> a lot of the people I've been working with are feeling better and I'm running. I've seen them in the neighborhood. I'm now in Boulder and they're like, Nikki, that was great. I'm so happy that you helped me like fix my thing. I don't mm-hmm. need to come in for a while. Yep. So, so um, there are a few things about that. Do you have more? I'm sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. No, I just kind of, I just wanted to, uh, um, highlight the things that you already said. And then I was curious about principles. Do you have principles in anatomy trains? Uh-huh. Back to principles. Yeah. The the principles as enunciated by Michael Salveson and Jeff Maitland and way back when in the Rolf Institute were not ones that I resonated with. So uh, we work on that structural integration is based on the five principles. First is energy. Um, you assess the client's goals. Do they have enough energy to get to their goals? Do you have enough energy for the, for them to get to their goals? Uh, there has to be enough energy on both sides. Uh, I'm talking about the overall goals for this encounter, however long, however many sessions it's going to be. So when I do that assessment, knowing what the client wants, both on the surface and, and the sort of unavowed part of it, um, is very important to me in that first session. Um, but I'm bringing up the the fact that this is a project right there from the first session. We'll be working together for a few months. Uh, We'll be working together for as long as necessary. I I have various ways that I say that, but I say this is not endless from the beginning. 
I then don't emphasize that again while we're going through the superficial sessions and through the core sessions, but then I bring it up again once we finish the head session when they come back to the next session. Oh, whoops. Okay. This is coming to an end. So what's going to bring this? It's, it's written in to that whole thing. Um, so first thing is, is there enough energy? That's the first principle. Okay. If there's enough energy for the goals that you and the person have, then you have to increase the adaptability. So the second principle is adaptability, increase adaptability, increase adaptability of the breath is right there in the first session. Uh, that's designed to get the organism to be freer to breathe, to take, you know, to do a different physiology than it could do ordinarily. So uh, this I don't see is this is built on the recipe as far as I'm concerned, but it's our own principles. I don't lay any claim that this is something that came from Ida Rolf. Um, if you uh, can increase the adaptability then, and this is the unique message of structural integration, then you increase the support. You're not doing a trauma release exercise on somebody and then dumping them back into the same body that they were in before. So uh, the, the third principle is support. Is there support and where is there not support and how can you increase support uh, where there isn't? So God, we've been talking about core strength now for 30 years. Um, but we haven't really gone into this idea of core support of how the femurs fit into the pelvis and lumbopelvic stability. They, it's, it's been addressed, but only in terms of the transversus abdominus strength and thoracolumbar fascia glide and things. It's not yet addressing the adductors and the psoas group um, as the adductor group and the psoas complex as part of that uh, core lifting up uh, out of the pelvis. So there's, there's more to come in the research, and I think structural integration will be contributing to that in 40 or 50 years if we can stop calling each other names and uh, start looking outward and do the job. I'm sorry, I got lost. Which question was I answering? Oh, the principles. I was asking about principles. Okay, so the third principle is increase the support. And you do that by working with the soft tissues in the muscles and around the joints in order to change the alignment. So that just um, increase the support is increase the alignment. Then you can get a release. And by a release, I don't mean a release of the pectoralis minor muscle. I mean a release of the pattern. We all know that feeling when the client uh, suddenly, or, or maybe not so suddenly, but changes pattern underneath. Then you're not just diddling around the surface of working on this muscle or working on that muscle. Suddenly you're working with a different pattern. It doesn't happen all the time. And I wish it happened more. Uh, I wish I could make it happen more for my students, but that's <laughs> that's the landing on free parking and getting all the cash uh, when people make a change like that. And um, if they make a change like that, then I'm just tidying up after that. I'm just making sure that it all balances in. I'm not trying to make it better or, uh, and, you know, go for the next peak. Uh, it's uh, usually this happens around the seventh or eighth session. I'm sorry, it's sixth or seventh session in the classic recipe. And, and then it's a matter of getting things to work together and tidying up after that. So the fourth principle is that of release, but it's a release of a pattern, not release of a muscle. So that the person releases out of their pattern and then comes integration, which is what you're doing in uh, our last four sessions or the last three sessions, uh, very similar uh, to bring that into an integration. I define that 
anatomically as tonal balance along the anatomy trans lines. Um, and Eideroff talked a lot about fascial span so that things were spanning properly. Certainly the, all the research that I can read, I'm, I'm resting on the word glide. It's glide within the muscle, it's glide between the muscles, it's glide between the organs, it's glide between uh, ligaments at joints, between muscles and ligaments at joints. If, if you use Occam's razor, what we're doing is increasing glide. And we, we just have a way of viewing it. Oh, as when I say we, I mean we structural integrators have a way of viewing it in the corners of the body that other people except perhaps some osteopaths have, but there are precious few osteopaths left who have that kind of discerning, uh, what they used to call 10-fingered osteopathic touch. I'm trying to get 10-fingered structural integrators out there before I croak. Thank so you the for last, all that. Last principles. That was, let me just recap the principles. The first one was energy. Is there enough energy? Second one is better increase adaptation. Third one is once you've got adaptation, use that adaptability to change the support. Once you've got the support, then you can release the deeper pattern because they'll have a new place to land in. And then you better integrate the mess that you made at the beginning. Those are the Great. principles. Um, thank you for taking time to explain what anatomy chain trains is besides just the the beautiful trains that we see the the mappings um i would like to i don't know if andrew has any more questions around that but i would like to depart a little bit but i think it's still in the um name of anatomy trains is your experience with buckminster fuller mm, okay because i think this is a lovely um the biotensegrity model is such a, what are we calling it? The new paradigm of looking at an anatomy and that we're not just parts and pieces and that we're this holistic um, unity that, you know, where you're playing with that tensegrity toy and we see that. And I just think it, it's just fun to have, have that talk because I also think that's another common language that we all have in this realm, whether we're structural integrators, somatic movers, we're all talking about this way of ebbs and flow in our body with the biotensegrity model. And you had the unique experience of working with Buckminster Fuller, right? I did. And he had no idea of applying that tensegrity principle to the body. And I had no idea of applying it to the body when I studied with him. What I got from him, although I did some work with tensegrity, but I'm not a mathematician. So it was just a marvel at the GD6 and, and its efficiency. Um, I was working on a project called World Game, which was how can we redeploy the world's resources so that more people can eat and thrive. Um, <clears throat> But the the general systems thinking that his One wide second. range. Can we time mark when you were with him? Was that pre your interest in structural integration? Or oh yes, it... yeah, 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 yeah. No, I I dropped out of taking English Lit at Harvard because English Lit was what you took in those days if you didn't know what to do. Then it became media studies, and then it became international relations, and then I, I don't know what it is now. But in those days, if you didn't know what you were going to do, you studied English Lit and. <clears throat> Um, I dropped out of that after two years and ended up um, through chance um, 
being handed a book by Buckminster Fuller and finding out that you could go to university, which I had to go to university because I would have been drafted into the army for the Vietnam War. So I went out to Southern Illinois where uh, he was a visiting professor or professor or something and um, lodged myself in his department and studied his work. He only showed up every three months or so and we got to hang out uh, once on his island in Maine and um, a few times during this this time. Um, so I was studying his work. I, I, I don't want to say that I was in his inner circle. Um, but this whole general systems approach to it, when I met Ida Rolf and then a year later, Moshe Feldenkrais, uh, I guess that was three or four years later. Um, but when I met these people, I was ready for their systems thinking about the body because I'd been prepared by the systems thinking of, of Bucky Fuller. It's has, my education with him has served me well all my life. So the tensegrity idea is uh, when I was back with Ida in, whoa, 78, that um, I suddenly the penny dropped and how could you put these two things together, tensegrity and the body? But it wasn't me that thought about it. It was Dr. Stephen Levine, who has the biotensegrity site uh, and has done so much pioneering work on this that uh, all mechanics, all mechanics is a dialogue between pull and push. <laughs> if you ask me, all psychology is a dynamic between pull and push too. But uh, all biomechanics in the body is, is a dynamic between pull and push, either tension or compression. And the fibers of the um, fascial system are designed to resist tension. The fibrous cum calcium salts arrangement in the bones are designed to resist compression. Cartilage is designed to resist almost everything, uh, being silicone impregnated with leather. Um, so cartilage is put in the most precarious positions. Cartilage is what your bones were, most of them originally anyway, uh, but the parts that are in the most danger have to remain cartilage. So that's the parts right out on the ends of the bones where they touch other bones, because that's a very precarious thing to do. Um, so we have all these joints across the body and our idea in structural integration is that we're going to balance them around the outside. Where did we start with this? Oh, the tensegrity. So yes, the, so that the myofascial connections, the reason that it's really important and very difficult to get out of this idea of a single muscle that works from its origin to its insertion, and that's what it does, is what it would do to a skeleton if it was the only muscle on the skeleton. It's just a completely faulty way of looking at muscle function. Um, I have had to bow to it. I bow to it in my, you know, we do a technique for tibialis anterior, but it's not. It's for tibialis anterior and all who sail with her, the crural fascia that's going around it, the tendon within, the stuff that's way down close to the uh, interosseous membrane. There are so, um, once you get into and, and I've been immersed in this by the dissections that we've done uh, with um, untreated cadavers with cadavers that have been frozen at the time that they passed and thawed out for this dissection. It's so close to what you feel under your hands, so different from what an embalmed cadaver looks, feels, and smells, and everything like. Um, so those 
the, the sections have really revealed for me what we're doing um, with our hands under there. And I don't have any miracle about it. It's, uh, um, it's just very helpful to see the images. We, we have been assembling these images and uh, the rules of the road are that with everything that we do with them will have to be educational. So it's gonna take us a while to assemble an educational fascial atlas, um, which, but I hope to get that one done before I croak as well. Um, so that we have a video atlas of the of a fascial dissection because everything else is so fascia free in terms of anatomy books. Tom, one of the one of the things I, I really appreciate that you said there is uh, the systems background because a lot of times when I work with people, my background was in IT, and they would always say, "Well, how did you?" It's so different what you're doing from you know tech work, and I would sort of say, "Not really. You're working with systems, the systems of." a body or systems in place and, and an environment of any sort are still systems. When you can understand systematic thinking and really it's not that different. And I think it's one of the reasons I, I, I do what I do and love the SI work is mm. you can take such a systematic way behind it and it, it, it just makes it really enjoyable. Well, okay, Boomer, uh, you might say to people like me, because we don't do translational knowledge as well as your generation does. Um, I watched my daughter. I don't know how old you are. She's 34. Um, watch my daughter just take on um, things and translate uh, back and forth so much more easily than our generation, which was so taught so much more linearly um, and so I applaud that change. I've, I've been trying to change that myself, but I'm I'm, I'm still applauding typer and applauding thinker. Uh, and I think I think there's 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 merit in both, and that's actually the key: is how do you how do you have both? How do you keep linear, but also recognize that the limits of linear, and then having this this other, and, and kind of waiting in between. But that's just my view. Okay, I, I can say that in terms of a structural integration practice, if you want another gem, uh, the, that the uh, way to do it is like a gyroscope, you know, the kid's toy of a gyroscope. You have to have one thing that you choose to be linear with, and that linear is your north-south pole. If it's acupuncture, have it be acupuncture. Mine was structural integration. I tried Feldenkrais, and I thought, oh, I'm going to stop being, this was only a couple of years few years into my practice, uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to stop doing Ida Ross work and Feldenkrais's work. It's all the nervous system. And then did cranial. And I fell in love with cranial. And, oh, am I going to run away with cranial? Um, and it just all, I did all those things. I, I got what I got. I'm not saying I'm expert in all of them at all, but it kept plowing back into this particular way that I got from Ida Roth and, and not that far from the recipe to keep you honest, right? The recipe makes sure that you get to the whole body. Um, in whether you do that in a sequential way or not, again, it's your relationship to the recipe. How are you unfolding that? How does this person unfold that uh, is, is open to question. But the, the idea of unfolding... Um, I feel that that unfolding actually could be a good place to to bring up um, the topic that I know Nikki is most excited to talk about, which is this letter you you wrote. Nikki, do you do you uh, agree, and do you want to take over since it's? Yeah, no, I think that um, it is a great lead-in to um, to the discussion of kind of. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tom. Uh, the open letter was this letter that you wrote to the Facebook structural integrative group. 
kind of talking about, um, okay, here we have the, the development of structural integration. There's various schools that have birthed out of Ida Rolf's original school. And uh-huh. how do we, instead of, you know, looking at each other as competitive or enemies, rather, how do we come together and respect our similarities and differences for the ongoing success of this progression? Because one of the things that um, what I heard in the, the, the letter was, you know, some of you, and then I, part of my interest too, I have to kind of just, I think this is important for me to say of why my interest is. So I also was part of the phase one teaching team taught for about five years. And, um, and what was always interesting, because I was also one of these students, you know, after I graduated, I was looking for learning material, like just something like little homework information where I didn't have to go into a deep dive of a travel for training what are my learning tools and so i always found it frustrating from the um from the rolf institute they didn't have anything so after i taught this class and students would come to me they'd be like how do i keep on what's 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 out there what resources can i keep on looking into and i'd be like oh there's tom myers there's art riggs there's eric dalton and all these other people and i was just like well this is interesting I, the students are here at the institute studying and the they're going to go seek you know they're going to purchase all these other people's material uh. and so I'd always confront the, the institute and I was like how come we don't have anything everybody else has something I think you're you're losing out on a a, a marketing capability and um so and there's so anyhow so there's that piece of just recognizing how here I am at the Institute and I'm offering to say, you should go experience some of these other styles. And in the open letter, you said, you know, what happens with, you know, when you die or Eric Dalton or all these other pioneers who are really pumping out a lot of information out there, what's going to happen? And does that when some of these, you know, original leaders or pioneers who kind of were with Ida, who are kind of, you know, timelines ticking, right? And Uh what's, and am I wrong? I think you said something along those lines of how do we keep this going as the first, you know, the first pioneers are no longer earth side and can help share the work? Uh Uh-huh. So I haven't read that letter in the six years since it was sent. It was a bit of a hair on fire and way too long. Um, And at that time, I despaired that structural integration would ever get its act together to make it in the world. And and I think the principal um, spur to that the the sort of desperation in that letter, Uh, one was seeing how much these principles are being taken up by physiotherapists and other people across the world. The Rolf Institute is going to be dwarfed. Um, The Rolfing world in general is going to be dwarfed by people doing, using the same principles, using the same methods, using the same, using different language uh, 
for it, but and putting it through physiotherapy. So that the chance for structural integration to burgeon as a separate profession that isn't just doing psychological things or isn't just a glorified massage therapist, not that that was a door that was closing. Um, and uh, that was my feeling at the time that I wrote the letter. And it was shortly afterwards uh, that I went through a personal crisis in my own life unrelated to the letter. And that was no, when was the letter? Did you say 2000 and something? Oh, I don't, I don't remember, but it's always, you don't. Been, I, I don't. But it was, yeah, it was about that timeline, about six years ago. Yeah. Uh, and then I went through, uh, unrelated to this, always a personal crisis and led to a business crisis. And the person who came in to save my business, who is still with us as CEO now, very good, um, said, no, you're, you should put your um, eggs in the structural integration basket. And uh, I was personally wrung out, bad divorce. Um, and uh, so I said, okay, we'll do that. And I'm much more hopeful. And I'm much more hopeful about our effort now. I, I wish the Rolf Institute and the Guild, uh, to the degree that the Guild lives, would play well with others. Um, because, of course, we're going to be competitive for students. That's, and those big established institutions have a big advantage over somebody like me. And I have a big advantage over somebody like David Davis, the school in wherever his school is, because I have a you know, nice big internet operation. It's it, everybody is going to be competitive in a different way, but uh, there's one, there's room for everybody. And two, we need the different points of view and three, four gas stations on a corner do better than one gas station or, you know, four gas stations spread out throughout the town because everybody knows where to go get gas. So we have common interests. The Rolf Institute and anatomy trains have common interests. When we get started again, you know, the presumption that classes get going again, we have common interests. Uh, I have an interest in seeing the smaller schools survive. I, I don't, and to see the Rolf Institute survive. I, um, the, the guild is, is um, may I say, fractured compared to its, its former self. Heller work is scattered compared to its former self. Uh, anatomy trains, I am sure, I don't know whether uh, I'll have time to build something that will live beyond me. I had never thought about it until the last couple of years and, and maybe something will live on beyond me, I don't know. So then we're with, with that. Um... If you had a magic wand, where would you like, how would you like structural integration? What do you want it to, what would you like it to look like in like, realistically, like 10 years? I would like to ban the schools that are willing to go to whatever, um, you know, IASI standards or what's there out there now, uh, to whatever standard is out there, ISI now. Um, to band together and to agree on what a structural integrator does, not what structural integration is. I'm not interested in that question anymore. Uh, define it how you will, write a book about it. Um, but what's very consistent across the thing is people come in, they tell us their history, they take their clothes off, we look at them down to their underwear, we look at them, we assess their posture and their movement, and we work a definite series of, we, we do a set of procedures um, based on what we saw and the principles of fascial da 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 da. Um, on we go. Um, but all the things of what structural integration is, is, is for 
you know, beer or a bong late at night. Um, this, <laughs> this, this is um, what we agree on and what there is large agreement on is what we're built around, what we do on uh, any given day. And that we could build a federation that would work for the common interests of the schools, which is to build structural integration out into the world, which as you noted at the beginning of this thing, uh, is not there. It is not out in the world. People don't know about the 10 session series. I know uh, one of the best practitioners I ever graduated ended up in my community. And I go to her, I went to her yesterday. And I said, how many people can you work like this? She said, oh, on you. Uh, because nobody else wants, knows about, knows how to ask, and knows how to be an intelligent consumer to receive something as sort of painfully confrontive. Not, not all the work is painful, but you know what I mean. It's, it's not, they, they grow, <laughs> she said to me, they groan turning over. You know, the, the population now, and those are middle class people who can pay $125 or $150 a session for her work, and yet they're not moving from week to week, not moving on in terms of, of developing healing. And I just felt so sorry for her. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to try to change that situation because she could work with our students and get more practice in the structural integration part of it. But uh, it does take an entrepreneurial spirit to get out there in the community and make that thing happen. It is still necessary, even after all these years. I, I would say that about the letter, actually. Uh, it is still true that after all these years, whoever is going to make it as a structural integrator isn't going to make it on the general knowledge that people have about structural integration. Uh, if they know anything about rolfing, they know that it hurts. And that's the one where they flay the muscles off the bone and make you scream about your mother. And it works. Yeah, there's, there's a there's one residual good thing in with that name. But I, in the early days when people were urging me to use the word roughing because it had never been, I, I don't want the word roughing. I don't want the baggage that comes with it personally. I don't mind it, but um, anatomy that's, train. That's so true. The baggage that comes with Rolf, the, the word. And it's so funny, like the Rolf Institute holds like the trademark so precious. And I, 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 I'm proud that I can call myself Rolfer, but I also realized the, I mean, my first practice was in Aspen, Colorado, when I just graduated. And this was way before social media and I still have it. I put a newspaper article out that Rolfing doesn't have to be painful. And, and it was just like a little advertisement. I got so many calls from that. And they're like, wait a minute. I, I've been, in, I've been curious about this work, but I, I don't, I don't want to pay to be in pain. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm being pushed down. And so mm -hmm. that, that was kind of like a, a catch to kind of describe really, okay, there's going to be, um, I'm going to maybe push the edge a little bit, but if you're retracting from me and not stop breathing, then that's not integrative work. So are you going to fall asleep? Probably not, but. Mm -hmm. No, I want yeah. your full, I want your full attention on this because part of it is to get you back in your, kinesthetic body, your proprioceptive and interoceptive body. And, and uh, I can't do that if you're asleep. If you're asleep, you need to go to the gym or you need to go home and have a nap or something, but not here. Um, yeah, no, I was, I, I was pretty adamant on that. And pe people didn't sleep in my <laughs> practice for very many uh, sessions before they were either I was sharply into their psoas or they were um, seeking out somebody else.
these, you know, really over, over stressed business people, they have to be, somebody has to be giving them pain for them to go to sleep. <laughs> I remember when I was a type A personality like that, I would fall asleep on an airplane uh, just as it took off because I was already going 700 miles an hour. I couldn't go any faster. So that then my body could rest. That was uh, in the early part of my career. So to come back to that question of where do you, where would you like to see us in 10 years? And so if I'm hearing it correctly, is that all the different schools so that we come together and define what structural integration is. No, not it. No, madam. That is exactly not what I said. I was like, what is, what did he say? It's what structural integrators do. Do. Yes. Okay. So that was my thing. So if what we do, and I'm not challenging, I'm just trying to better understand it. So, but yet all these different schools were doing it a little different. So how do we have this common statement? Yeah, to no, they're already, this work has partially already been done in committees in Yazi to develop a common curriculum of what are the 200 anatomy names you need to be familiar with. What are the things you need to be familiar? You know, there's a curriculum uh, basis that almost every school would agree to. And a couple of them would grumble and say, that's not good enough. And a couple of them would grumble and say, that's too much. And everybody would pull around to it and we would have the common curriculum. But, oh, we do wonderful spiritual things with astrology in the series. Oh, we do wonderful things with psychology and the recipe. But everybody would be a school of structural integration because there would be common agreement and we could then go around saying all oh, those people there's you you but you have that common agreement there yes they're a school of structural integration but they're not nearly as good as if you have the same thing with every school the yoga teachers you know anya sara talks about bikram talks about it. everybody is at each other's throats that's fine you'll always have that that's a competition but that's different from not being willing to play with the people who are interested in the same thing that you are. And that's too bad. It seems to me that both the Rolf Institute and the Guild, I'm sorry, I will say this out straight, that both the Rolf Institute and the Guild have been resistant to making alliances. They expected the world to beat a path to their door, and they didn't do much to beat a path to the world's door which is what Eric Dalton and Till Lukau and Art Riggs and myself and people who were ambassadors outwardly had to do on our own because there wasn't any program within the Rolf Institute to do that kind of ambassadorial work, to take some of the principles, even some of the techniques. Everything was being held very close to the chest. It's silly, all these techniques, every technique that's in the Rolfing armamentarium has been invented a hundred times and forgotten a hundred times. It's it's the putting it together in this idea of, oh, we're on a project to change your inner straightness, your, your inner alignment, and uh, it's going to take about three months, and then we'll wait a few months, and we'll see what's happened, and then we'll go from there. Um, that's a different kind of thing than psychotherapy, Pilates, and it requires being identified out in the marketplace. And if we don't if, if they don't come down from their high perch and play 
just, okay, here's the ideas, here's the curriculum, but we do it much better than you. Yes, that's right. Okay, so what are your new ideas? And new ideas would come from the little schools. New ideas would come from the big schools. They'd be winnowed out through all of the schools. It's what happens in the teaching hospitals is what happens in the physiotherapy schools. Uh, it, it would develop that way. But uh, if the principals in the, in the higher-ups in the major groups um, do not come down and play with all the other people, the two or 3,000 people. There's simply not enough people in that ivory tower up at the top. The Rolf Institute is never going to process enough people. The Guild is never going to process enough people to actually build the momentum to build this thing out into society. And if I'm going all the way back there, Ida Rolf had in her will that there should be three schools of structural integration. And it was... Dick Stenstevold and, and Emmett Hutchins of the Guild. This was before Peter was there, but this was still back in the days of the Institute that nixed New York school and made it very difficult for a Florida school where these kinds of different approaches could be developed. She was very aware of all the different approaches that one could take to this work. And uh, I've always been interested in all of them. Um, myself, the psychological, I, I, I'm not so much into the astrological, you know, this is the session as a Leo, I don't, don't go for that stuff. But um, all of the anthropological, embryological things that pertain into these sessions are very interesting to me, and I think could could be explored in a school all on their own, and then it would enrich the whole community. So the idea is that we, as structural integrators, define what we do, and that the various schools gives allowance to style it out a little differently. For and what I appreciate of like the different schools, because it, I think it also lends the, the this an opportunity for different type of learners to be able to go in seek the the type of school that best suits them exactly exactly and that's what i appreciated because although i graduated from the rolf institute i've learned greatly by experiencing what what you have to offer art rigs i mean all the different people i mean i've dabbled all over the place and, and there are uh, good practitioners and bad practitioners in every school that it's this is a project to get back in your body you reached puberty you reached your midlife crisis you reached whatever you reached and now it's time to re-examine things and to set them straight and and to go back to your life uh, I, th I think it's a really viable option these days and uh, i would see a great future for it and i don't want to see structural integration come together one funeral at a time so uh, i'm not talking about funerals of individuals although i could name some but uh, I'm talking about funerals of schools. The COVID will probably kill several schools. Yeah. We'll wait and see in the post-COVID uh, era. And that's just going to reduce the diversity. And if the upper schools, the larger schools, don't play with the smaller schools, then um, I still think the future, as I, as I wrote in that letter, is quite dim. But I have a little bit of time left, and I'm putting my dice on the idea that the uh, we're we're going to go for that chance, however slim it is. Well, Tom, thanks thanks for your time and your knowledge and your wisdom. Really appreciate it. I know our listeners are going to going to enjoy it. You're one of the people that we've been asked to have on uh, more frequently, so now we can finally quiet those people. But really, thank you for for all your time and your, your wisdom. It's been great to see you again after so many years. And you're welcome. Well, thanks, Nikki. Thanks, Andrew. Take care. <laughs> yes, thank you. 
Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Tom at anatomytrains.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us, and we greatly appreciate your support. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye.